This is Masonic episode number 29. This will be an exercise in speculation, critical thinking, the pursuit of knowledge, strengthening your body, mind, and soul. Question everything. Episode 29, the mysterious origins of Freemasonry, dinosaur training, and keeping your mind strong. It's been a few weeks, everybody, since I last published an episode. That things started to get busier uh, for myself and my family here in September. And with more and more lodges opening up uh, to go live, you know, in person, in-person meetings, and then getting prepared for stated meetings. Uh, we went on a few trips, the wife and I, we had planned these trips out months and months and months ago, and they finally came to pass. We were able to go. It was great. We had some, I went to go watch a Dodgers game. I went to go watch an Angels Padres game, I believe. That was pretty cool. So we had a lot of, we had a lot of things to do. We had fun with the family. That was great. Uh, but I, at the same time, I've kept my ear to the ground. I've kept uh, working out with uh, my workout group. My best friend, David Perez, finally came back from West Virginia. Yeah, he's finally back. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrangle the man, interview him, see what happened out there. He was uh, out working with the company that he's with put in a lot of overtime and also put on a lot of pounds. He's like 15 pounds overweight. So we got a lot of work to do with David. So David, if you're listening, yeah, we got a lot of work to do on you. My Raiders are winning. My Dodgers are winning. Dodgers are in the playoffs. And this pandemic might be getting ready to go to another level. No pun intended. You can see it on the news. I don't have TV. I mean, uh, cable uh, but I do have some YouTube and I watch YouTube and you can see you can see the tiptoe they've been tiptoeing ever since this thing broke out last year and little by little they've been letting us know what's going to happen and what they're going to do and how they're going to tighten up the screws on us if we don't if we don't start to somehow fight back and uh, assert our rights our freedoms do it in a good way and let the people in charge know that this is not going down this way. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. So on that note, I'd like to mention that, you know, as we continue to fight this pandemic, uh, the one thing that many of the news media is not pounding into our heads, they're pounding all this other stuff into our heads. But the one thing they're really not pounding into our heads at all is to get out there and regularly exercise, improve your nutritional intake, get out and get the sunlight, take more vitamin D, C, and zinc, stay strong, take care of your health, both physically and mentally, get out there, get the body moving, the thoughts start to flow, you start to think clear, and you know, everybody is, is you can, you can tell the wear and, and the, the uh, weight people are carrying around them, even though they won't admit it or they won't talk about it. This media, just bombardment, just more bad news, more bad news. Well, 
um, we can control the information coming into our little lizard brains. All you got to do is turn off the TV. You know this. I know this. All you got to do is read for yourself and find out what's happening around the world. You can read these medical and scientific journals and papers. We're not dumb. We can understand what it's saying and then make decisions based on that. So on, uh, uh, on this note, let's start off by talking about dinosaur training. And dinosaur training, I, I first heard about dinosaur training back in 2000 when uh, I, I ran, somehow ran into this website called, um, called Abbreviated Training, a lot of articles by Stuart McRobert. This is where I found out about uh, Stuart McRobert and his books, Braun and um, Further Braun. And then I found out that he uh, created this magazine um, I can't remember the name of the magazine. It'll come to me. But this is where in reading those magazines and the articles in there, I heard the name for the first time where I read it, Brooks Cubic. And Dinosaur Training is a book. And it's written by Brooks Cubic. The book came out in 1996. And really what it is was a call to arms to train like old, like the old time strongmen. And the old time strongmen back, um, you're going to have to go back to like the 50s and then even further back. You can find pictures of them. You can find pictures of old kettlebells going back to 1900, maybe older. And so I, I went online, looked for his book, looked for his articles, started reading about Brooks Cubic and his philosophy of dinosaur training. It was really great. And I'm going to read to you some of what the advertisement said for his book, uh, you know, trying to get you motivated to begin to take your training in a different direction. And he says this, he asked you this, would you like weight training that focuses on real world strength training, becoming more powerful, building functional muscle, strengthening the tendons and ligaments, thick bar training, heavy weights power rack work, heavy grip work, sandbag and barrel lifting, heavy support work, effort, dedication, perseverance, concentration, determination, mental toughness, and the kind of hard-nosed attitude that has all but disappeared from the iron game. Now, remember, this was 1996. So now we're in 2021, and you see a lot of what he just was talking about you see it now you see it in in these gyms you go onto youtube and you find these videos where they are using these heavy bags where they're doing grip work where they're using the kettle the kettlebells and and they're they're just hard work they're not working out to get the six pack ab, abs they're working out to gain overall physical and mental strength and so you know this kind of of uh, that kind of advertisement gets you pumped up. If you're already in the in the exercise game and the weightlifting game, and you read something like this, it's it's completely a 180 from what we've been taught. Even me myself, when I was still going to high school, and I got introduced to my first gym was this little rinky dink little gym. But uh, they just teach us the basics: bench press, squat, maybe some military press curls. They they didn't talk about none of this. And you can find his videos on YouTube. 
Brooks Kubik. You can find him performing a lot of the exercises that he's talking about with the equipment that you just heard about right now. And then uh, you, if you do a Google search on him, he's probably going to find you're probably, you're going to find the links to old school strongman training and what have you. And, and so the, the dinosaur training book and philosophy just really got down to the bare bones, like no fluff, hard ass training that gave you real world strength. Uh, I've tried some of these lifts and they're definitely different. And I could see why if you are serious about your training, then you will go to Amazon or YouTube. If you go to Amazon, buy his book. If you go to YouTube, you can watch his videos and get a stronger body, mind, and soul. Also, the other guys that he's associated with, because in that, in that era, in that game, in that part of the industry, the weightlifting industry, where they were not, they were anti-steroid, they, and they still are, because what they're promoting is that not everybody is genetically gifted as some other people are. And so you have to follow, you have to understand the body's physiology in order to get the maximum results that you can from we're, we're so basically we're all genetically uh average people we're not genetically superior and and when you understand that and you work with that framework that that principle you get superior results kind of cool speaking of dinosaurs freemasonry for some has been around for far far longer uh, that than we are than what we are being told or taught, especially if you go to a lodge, you join a lodge, you're not going to be taught that. You're not going to be taught just how old it is. You know, you're going to get, I don't know, half-assed statements and from people that aren't really studying the topic. You know, they're just going through the motions or maybe not even going through the motions. Maybe they're 100% invested, but they're 100% invested in the progression of the line, the management, the, the, uh, administrative side of it and so they never took the time to really delve into the mysterious origins mysterious history of freemasonry and the debate has been going on ever since anderson wrote his constitutions of the freemasons there wasn't before that there wasn't any one book that tried to describe the history of freemasonry and you had a lot of documents they weren't called constitutions what they were called was the, the uh, they were like charters. And so at our lodge, we have a collection of these little blue books that were published by the Masonic Service Association of the United States. Uh, th this collection came out in 1924, which is cool, and covered a number of different topics about Freemasonry. And today I'll be using the one that covered Anderson's Constitutions of Freemasons. The first 23 pages talk about what was known at that time about this event and why the Constitutions were written. And I'm not going to get into all the details except to mention that Anderson wrote uh, something very interesting that I'm going to read to you right now. He wrote how many of the brethren of that time 
were were asked or told i guess they were if you knew where they lived you would go there but you know a written letter and they were asked to bring to grand lodge any old writings and records and that several copies of the gothic constitutions as he called them were produced and collated he also alleges that in 1720 several valuable manuscripts concerning the craft were too hastily burnt by some scrupulous brethren. Hmm. This should raise eyebrows because whatever else was asked of these brethren, whatever else was known by these brethren was enough to make them feel some kind of threat. It was enough for them to destroy their manuscripts and erase that history. They preferred to have nothing with Grand Lodge and give them nothing. They just preferred to go back and destroy these manuscripts. And the only way this information could survive was if they had memorized it. Sound familiar to you Masons? We Masons still practice the art of memory and there's no reason to believe that the Masons back then didn't also practice the art of memory. Anderson's constitutions had a lot of symbolism, allegory, myths, and legends. He speaks of Moses as a true Noahide, the three great articles of Noah and the seven wonders of the world, even though they're off. Uh, you know, people, researchers, when they got a hold of this book and they read it and they, Anderson started talking about the seven wonders of the world, they realized that some of them were off, that, that uh, it wasn't exactly the way some... Uh, the majority of them were dead on, but some of them were just made up. But the most interesting thing to me now, when I read Anderson's Constitutions, was at the very beginning. And how Anderson and his story divided in his legend, I don't know what you would call this, divides mankind into two camps. This division happens right off the bat. It talks about how Adam must have had, you know, the liberal arts implanted in his heart by God. You know, it's a reference to seven liberal arts and sciences, you know, the trivium and the quadrivium. And this division is created. And the first division is led by Prince Cain, Cain, the son, you know, son Adam's son, Cain, but he calls him a prince whom Adam, his father, taught him geometry and the several arts and crafts. The second was his son as well, Adam's son, Seth, who was the prime cultivator of astronomy, but would take equal care of geometry and masonry. Let's dissect that for a minute. Adam who was the father of both Cain and Seth, taught his sons the liberal arts, but particularly geometry. Within the first two pages, which is not really two pages because the first page has a big old plate announcing Anderson's constitutions and then the story begins. And then you turn the page, that's page one. And then you turn to page two and now, bam, they're talking about this division. So within the first two pages, we have a connection between geometry, astronomy, and masonry. 
And then Cain and Seth seem to have a different aspect of their father's teachings, their father being Adam. If I'm being redundant, it's because I'm also reinforcing this knowledge in my own little lizard brain. So Cain focuses on geometry, then astronomy and masonry. Seth focuses on astronomy, then geometry and masonry. Because I'm saying that because it says, we just finished reading right now that Seth was the prime cultivator of astronomy, but would take equal care of geometry and masonry. This is a big difference in my opinion. Why? What happened? Did Adam give them these commands to each have their own focus? Or is there something different going on here? What other material did Dr. James Anderson use or have at his disposal so he could research and then write these constitutions? You know, where did he draw these myths and legends, if you want to call them that? They might not be myths and legends. They might be real. You know, if you watch videos or read about the Anunnaki and, and how that all happened and, and, you know, them being our creators, who knows? What did some of these Masons find so threatening that they would rather burn and destroy their sacred documents than to hand them over to the Grand Lodge of England? These documents, this is what they would, instead of the Bible, you would take your oaths or obligations on it. It was these written constitutions that they would put their hands on and take their oaths on. And so you would believe that they would not so readily destroy them, that they would revere them. And they probably did, but the threat was so big that they just rather burn them. It almost seems as if we have two competing ideologies here, one focusing on astronomy and the other geometry. I talked a little bit about astronomy in the past episodes. Astronomy plays a big role, a big part in Freemasonry throughout the first, second, and third degrees, and even, and even later into the so-called higher degrees, which if you research, you, you understand that there really is no such a thing. It's just first, second, and third degrees. There is no such thing as higher degrees. That's a topic for a whole other episode, maybe 12 episodes worth, so we can just hammer that point home. And for many of these ancients, the only way to memorialize this astronomical information or secret was through the creation of certain geometrical symbols that could accurately convey this information from one generation to another more accurately than any other written language. There are some researchers that have contended in the past and still contend to this day that many of the Masonic symbols and ceremonies are indeed to convey important astronomical information. Astronomical, brethren, not astrological. There is a difference. You start throwing that astrological stuff out, 
and and the whole conversation goes sideways into left field. I'm talking about astronomical. What time of the year uh, the winter solstice is, what the equinox is, the, the, the summer solstice, what time of the year the planets, it's astronomical. And speaking of astronomy, speaking of astronomy, we just had the autumnal equinox on September 22nd, where the day and night are equal length. Our society and societies around the world have gotten so disconnect, disconnected from the natural cycles of time that we don't even pay attention to this anymore. We kind of get glimmers or glimpses with the Oktoberfest and stuff like that because we understand the seasons are changing, but we don't even understand why we're celebrating or what we're doing. What are we really celebrating? So right now we are in the harvesting and storing phase of the year when our ancient ancestors who lived in colder regions learned to prepare all year long. They did. And, and they knew that once that autumnal equinox hit that point, they knew that, at that from that point on, there was gonna be less and less daylight and the nights got colder and colder. They got longer and longer. And they knew that there would come a point where they would just have to stay inside more in order for them to try and survive that winter. And if they had done their due diligence and they had a good harvest and they're storing everything, they're going to have a good time. If not, it's going to be a very lean winter. So the sun has passed over the equinoctial point of the year and we are halfway through this year that's what that means and there is a point in a mason's journey where he has passed to another degree and is halfway through his journey and part of his reward is wine hold up a glass with me my brethren hold up a glass with my brethren and i and let us toast to all the fellow crafts around the world who are halfway through their journey. This toast is for you. And before I sign off, remember, brethren, non-brethren, remember, stay strong, take care of your health, eat well, exercise, spend time with your family, friends, relatives, and neighbors, stick together, stay united, This is Masonic Muscle, and this has been an exercise in speculation, critical thinking, and the pursuit of knowledge, strengthening your body, mind, and soul. Question everything.